This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The Book Report. I am Adam, joined, as always, by your master teacher, Caitlin. What's going on, Kate? Hello. Hello. Who is this? What character is this? I don't know. I'm testing him out. What do you think? (laughs) If we ever get to Dostoevsky, (laughs) I've got got you covered. Okay, you got that locked and loaded and ready. All right. You're already preparing... What a master teacher you are, and master teacher indeed. Hey, as I tell my students all the time, if you're reading and you do not hear voices, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Got to get into it. That's part yeah, of the fun. Exactly. Part of the fun. Okay, so we are here to talk about Shakespeare. We're finally doing it. No fear, Shakespeare. We're finally jumping into the bard. I'm scared. Our audience is scared. Fear not. Fear not, because you know the, this is. It, it was always going to happen. Was, we were always going to come to Shakespeare. Uh, and even as you and I sit here, Adam, we, we are being looked over by our very own patron saint of our living room. We, we have a bust oh, here yeah. of William Shakespeare that looks, looks over uh, <laughs> our living room. It is, we call him Billy the Baby Bard Bust. He's currently so. wearing a Santa hat that we bought specifically. I think it's a little cat's hat. It is a cat, Santa, Santa hat, hat made for cats. That we but put on. We, uh, we put it on our, our on the bard, our Billy the Bard. So he's looking over this. He looks over my shoulder every time we record. So he, he does. Is, yeah. He does. <laughs> he judging you with his dead eyes. That see everywhere and follow you. Do, um, yeah, like you said, it was always leading to this. We were always going to have Shakespeare. Does our audience, did our audience catch that we actually had a quote from Macbeth long, long ago, over a year ago? Yes. When well, our voiced by, voiced by uh, Wilbo, Wilbo Baggins. Baggins. Yeah. Yes. Our uh, friend of the show. Uh, yeah. The I, lovely Will. If you don't remember, you can go back and listen to the little Easter egg. It was uh, our first guest spot, I think we had. A little guest cameo who mm-hmm. read, a, read a part. And I think it's as we're going through Chateau d'If, the prison, right? And yes. Uh, as we're trying to find, uh, what's his name? Oh, Crusoe. Crusoe. There we go. <laughs> trying to find Crusoe. And remember as we're way by, back when? Yeah, way back when. <laughs> gosh. And as we're making our way to Crusoe, that's when we hear we pass by someone in a cell. And I remember we, we were talking because I think at the time we knew that we were gonna 
go to Macbeth at mm-hmm, some point. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, but we're having him. Is that supposed to be Macbeth in there? And you're like, no, nah, it can just be someone just saying a line from the play. Yeah. So my, my worry is that people would be like, that's Macbeth in there. Only only the, the true nerds would have picked up. Yeah, that was uh, the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow soliloquy that mm-hmm. uh, Macbeth gives at the news of his wife's passing. Mm. So yeah, so it so it, it made no sense because when you when you and I were talking about world building for this and we were coming up with okay who is going to be our main antagonistic force we need a, a good literary yeah. villain and we both came to the conclusion Lady Macbeth would be a, an excellent uh, foil. choice mm-hmm. yeah yeah she would be an excellent foil for. Uh, Robin and Marion. Well, you you also loved the idea as a strong, intelligent woman yourself. You were like, oh, it'd be really you. cool to have female leaders on both sides. Yeah, yeah, just like, the opposing cool. generals. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so, anyways, we had a little bit of a little bit of Shakespeare, a little bit of Macbeth beforehand, but here we dove in head first. So, here to talk about Macbeth the, and uh, Shakespeare, the play, and all all that good stuff. So let's just start from the beginning like we always do. Can you just give me your general thoughts on the play or you can give me history yeah. on the play? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, going so to, to I'm just going to be scratching yeah. the surface. I'm yeah. not going to do it any justice tonight. Right. So if any of you are fans of the play, The Tragedy of Macbeth or Shakespeare itself or just works along this line, uh, I'm going to fall far short of what you're hoping to hear. But... I still am going to go into the context and and give you some cool, interesting tidbits um, and then kind of, you know, peel back the surface of even just for our show, how it was influenced by by this particular work by Shakespeare. So are you wanting to go back to talk about Shakespeare himself or do you want to go back and just talk and just hone in on Macbeth? Yeah. Yeah. So to start us off. You know, got to give you dates, got to give you context, please. Uh, you know, historical context. So this is, you know, the full name of it is the tragedy of Macbeth. So we already know, you know, the genre of his place. This is going to be so as a tragedy, it will end in death, <laughs> unlike a comedy which ends in a wedding. Were there any? Because it's always tragedy and comedy. Were there any drama? History. There were history. Other oh, histories well. too. Mm-hmm. Were there any dramas like that that just ended like not tragedy, but just were very serious but i don't know do they always have a kind of a tragic ending or a happy ending was there no middle ground man i'm trying to go through that the list of what i've no typically it's death either or very wedding. good or very yeah, bad death or wedding is typically what you get uh dear listeners if you can debunk what i just said and if you can think of well actually in this play by shakespeare Mm. it does not end in death or wedding but in fill in the blank please let us know we would love to hear from you so uh now about Macbeth, uh we're going all the way back to 1606 that's uh most likely when it was written and even probably first performed uh but it's a tragedy in five acts, very typical that we see with uh, Shakespeare's plays. Um, and then it became published in one of his first folio playbooks in, later in 1623. But just because it was published later on, it typically was written and performed well before that. Kind of like test it out on the stage, and then if it played well, then it would make it to the folios. Um, but it, he meant to, Shakespeare meant to dramatize an actual period of Scottish history. So a lot of these characters are based off of people that did exist. 
Um, much like the fact that our own podcast here is taking characters and scenarios mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. do exist in in literature, and we kind of put our own spin on it. So he was he was doing like a a fan fiction of, of history. So it felt like it, it felt like his other history kind of plays. Even it does. It does play out a, right. a lot like it. Yeah. So the main plot points is that the the. The story itself is going to chronicle Macbeth's seizing of power and then his subsequent destruction. Um, so like his rise and his fall as the result of what we see as like really blind ambition. And part of that ambition is is stoked um, by the presence of these three entities who are called the Weird Sisters. Um, weird not meaning strange, but weird coinciding with the Old English word for fate. W-Y-R-D. Hmm. Um, so it kind of like, we, we see like the three fates in, in Greek mythology and a lot of uh, kind of like that, that three in one, that triune appears a lot, like across a lot of mythologies, a lot of religions even. And so it's, it's nothing like new to it. Um, even in a lot of imagery that we associate with witchcraft, um, we, we see kind of that entity that's like a usually like a, a crone or an older woman a matron or a middle-aged kind of mother-aged woman and then the the maiden or the virgin so kind of like the three stages of life as well is it supposed to be kind of like taking from what i know of christianity and like the that kind of trinity is it supposed to be kind of like a darker an unholy a, trinity an unholy yeah it trinity? could it could be seen as that yeah I, I don't know exactly like if you know which came first uh, with regards to this iteration of the play, um, but that idea that that magical number three and the triune being mm-hmm. has existed before you know we had handwritten chronicles of, right. of stories. Um, okay, so we you know he he meets these three at the very beginning and it starts this blind ambition because of basically like speaking in riddles and and making it clear like he's going to be king and he just becomes obsessed with it um and so the king at the time king duncan he chooses to honor macbeth by visiting his castle um in at inverness um for those of you if anybody listening is from scotland welcome um also tell me if i ever pronounce anything wrong (laughs) anyways yeah uh the king comes to macbeth's place uh called dunsinane um, and as he's on his way there, Macbeth is like, get, you know, goes to see his wife. He's like, hey, you got to get ready. The, the king's coming. And they realize that this is the perfect moment. They had been long contemplating, like basically regicide, like killing off the king and taking power from him. And they're like, this is our chance. Uh, so they do it. And Macbeth becomes king after uh, Duncan's sons flee the country in a way that makes them seem guilty. So it's just like the unraveling of that is once he has the crown, how obsessed he becomes with keeping that power and knowing how he got it through treachery, through murder, he is equally afraid of having the same thing happen to him. him. Mm -hmm. And so he just like unravels and and you see that same thing with with, uh, Lady Macbeth as well. Um, So... The interesting portion that I'm going to go into tonight is kind of like the background of it associated with the actual reigning monarch at the time when Shakespeare wrote this. Um, That would be uh, James, King James. So we know it as the King James version of the Bible, that Mm -hmm, guy. mm -hmm. Um, So as the Wasn't there a rumor that that Shakespeare beautified some of the Psalms? 
Yeah, yeah. The, there, there is that. There is mounting evidence that yeah, Shakespeare was basically an independent contractor yeah. hired to make the Psalms more lyrical and and poetic in English. We're, I, I want to go on a little. Uh, pin in this i'm gonna go on a tangent real quick because what i know about shakespeare are things that you've told me uh that i had no idea about it sounds like he was hired by the crown a lot or whatever people to like write stuff first of all were you allowed to say no to doing that or was it kind of like you have to (laughs) i mean you could they you weren't you weren't threatened with like beheading or anything um but it was it was it was bad press Mm. um to to say no to the crown and then for the second thing, you, you told me that he he was hired to like write a lot of like histories that were like about their families, right? Exactly. And this is kind of one of them, even mm. though this is not considered a history, but a tragedy. Uh, so King James, he if, you, if you're in England, as an English monarch, he was King James the first of his name. Um, but he actually came from Scotland and there he was known as King James the sixth. So you you have a very different take on him. And his mother was Mary, Queen of Scots, who had been beheaded by Queen Elizabeth I. So kind of a lot of bad blood there. Oh, thank you. I'm giving you a stool right now. Thank you. I keep seeing you fidget. Sorry, I'm trying to get comfy. Is that better? Yeah. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I had to get my wife a stool. She kept fidgeting. <laughs> trying to get comfy over Help here. Help me. Is that better? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so anyways, um, so James I was, the, was not only the reigning monarch at the time that this play was, was written and performed, but James I was also the patron of Shakespeare's company. They called themselves the King's Men. Oh, uh, yeah. Because uh-huh. they, that was their patron. That was their number one moneylender, basically, and who oftentimes, as part owner of this company uh, would dictate like, hey, I want to play about this. And so interesting. um, They definitely wrote this with him in mind. And so James the first had a sincere fear of regicide of of the killing of a a monarch for for him, like his mother had that happen to her. Um, And so he also just had a thing that might maybe some of you would be familiar with while he was there. Um, there was something called the gunpowder plot in 1605. Uh, perhaps you guys, if you've seen V for Vendetta and you're familiar with the Guy Fox mask, mm-hmm. well, Guy Fox is the guy who was behind one of the main uh conspirators behind the gunpowder plot, um, which was a failed plan to blow up parliament and the royal family. Wait, what year was that? I don't know why I thought that was... 1605. Oh, I don't know why I thought that was like the 1800s. No. Um, so that, yeah, the gunpowder plot um, ha- is tied to James first. And so he had like sincere fears of people trying to, to kill him and unseat him. Um, and even the, if you're in England, people still celebrate Guy Fawkes Day. All right. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Um, but to tie into that too, it's not just regicide that... Uh, is included in this play, but also witchcraft. James strongly believed in witchcraft, not practicing, but he believed in it um, to the point where like he he was kind of obsessed with it as like he wanted to get rid of it. Um, in 1589, he was on a return trip to Scotland from Denmark. He like just picked up his new bride and they're returning. And um, there was a storm that nearly drowned them. 
and he blamed evil spells of witches for conjuring that storm. Oh, wow. To the point where as soon as he got back to Scotland, he ordered a witch hunt in the coastal town of North Berwick, which is where he kind of thought, hey, this is this is the land I saw as the storm started picking up. They must have been casting their spells from there. Um, and then... A few years later, he actually wrote a whole treatise on, like, the diabolical threat of witches in England and Scotland. Um, It's called uh, Demonology. Um, And then he used that to kind of preside over violent persecutions of witches in Scotland. So he, he just had it out for this idea of witchcraft and was just obsessed with, like, the occult. Um... And so in this play, the witches are like very prominent in it. Um, they're not just in the background. They're not just there as like a cool feature, but they're, they're actual like, they're questionable as antagonists just as much as Macbeth. Um, and they, they twist their words and they, they um, mess with reality. Um, and they... I, I love like how Shakespeare has them lie and tell the truth at the same time, depending on how you look at their words and the, the order of the words they use. Um, and so Shakespeare really ex- explores the supernatural with the weird sisters. And aside from a Midsummer Night's Dream, this is the most extended engagement in one of his plays with the supernatural that I have seen. And it's one of the reasons why I love Macbeth, um, because it it really it's. It has a lot of magical elements in it that don't break the game or don't mm. don't break the story. Um, it's just it enhances it and makes us question what is real and what is being imagined. Well, I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know why I thought the Tempest had some like magical it does. stuff to it. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the, there's there's more than just a Midsummer Night's Dream and Macbeth, but, but I would those say have like, like heavy those are the top. Yeah, those are the hev- the most influential that I've seen in his works. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Where where would you rank or put Macbeth and uh, like the the long list of Shakespearean works? Do you think Macbeth is near the top or? For me personally, like a subjective I'll, list? I'll, I'll say both. Say for you personally, because I'm interested in what your fav- your faves are, but stepping outside yourself and just looking at the history of like literature and education with, with Eng- English writings and plays, where do you think it stands on that list too? Um, well, subjectively, so just personal preference, yeah. Macbeth is number two for me. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's my second favorite after, after Midsummer Night's Dream. So I, I like the two, the two magical plays, mm-hmm. the two supernatural plays a lot. Uh, I, I think f- why I place it so high um, kind of would relate to, well, actually, because you're going to ask me why should people read it or what yes, makes it so. Can I just answer that now? Totally. Super? Okay. Um, I think that because um, Macbeth is, is a compelling story that just pushes against any simplistic reading of it. Um, it's full of paradoxes and incongruencies, things that just do not make sense Example. on purpose. Um, there's a lot of linguistic and syntactic uh, ambiguity in the language. For example, with any of the prophecies or the visions that the Weird Sisters give to Macbeth um, and even to, to Banquo, um, 
They, they don't they outright. Film? They don't outright tell them what to do, mm. but they. It's almost as if they know their hearts. They know their minds. They they know their weaknesses. Um, and so they say, "Hey, you're going to be king, but you're not going to have any heirs." And then in front of you, we're going to tell this one guy, "Your heirs are going to be the kings of 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 Scotland next." So we're not going to outright say that your kids are going to supplant Macbeth, um, but we're going to plant that seed because we know your heart. We know the darkness there and then just leave it hanging. So there, and even just the use of a lot of it has to do with the prophecies, but even just how, uh, how the scene plays out with the death of the, of the regicide. And it's, it's unclear exactly who is, directly responsible for the death of uh king duncan is it lady macbeth or is it macbeth himself you know who who had a a greater hand in killing him and i like that it's left ambiguous so that we're able to imagine either or both of them both the man and the woman uh committing this act uh this this horrible act that it's not just one using their words and one their action that we would typically think of more of a feminine and masculine force but they're both as to quote lady macbeth they they unsex themselves and uh they they take on roles that had been at this time in the 1600s especially that had been traditionally masculine and taking action and doing the stabbing and then the feminine of sneaking in the shadows Mm -hmm. and and just using their words and kind of pushing others to do their bidding both lady macbeth and lord macbeth do both and i really appreciate that so that every time i read it i can easily imagine either of them driving the the dagger into duncan's heart i can imagine either of them um making the plans and hatching the schemes that would allow them to take over the throne. So I like that. Um, But I also see just like paradoxes in like our hero, our protagonist, our title guy is also the villain. Mm -hmm. I love the stories that are like that where kind of, you know, one, one of the first thing, one of the first stories that you and I watched in its entirety together was Breaking Bad. Mm. Uh, And it's it's the same thing where you're rooting for that villain. You're rooting for the antihero, even as they're falling, um, and not exactly rooting for them to fail or to succeed, but just like you're you're compelled by their story and you don't want it to end. You want to keep following it, um, even as you know sometimes they're descending into madness or they're descending into darkness. It's still it's still a story that makes you want to follow along this villain in the making it's the transformation from mm-hmm. one to the other from a good character to like evil exactly and like what drives them there yeah. and then seeing the agony after what they've done that feels like i feels like half the play it's just them slowly descending into madness because mm-hmm. of just what they've done and almost going mad or actually going mad yeah exactly yeah for some of them literally going mad um, and I think that the last like paradox and incongruency that I really af- appreciate about this play is that there there's this competing dominance of between supernatural interference with the weird sisters and individual agency. How much is fate? Like how much was something always fated to happen? How much is like influenced by outside forces? 
Um, and how much was just like, no, you have free will and you chose to do this. Mm. We didn't push you to the darkness. It was already there. Maybe we gave you a nudge or we kind of showed you this one path you could take, but you freely walked down that path. You freely chose to do this. And you're realizing that, that maybe you are darker than you realized and you are capable of more than you realize. But is that moment of intervention when they come in and have that kind of prophecy or they say they say this to them, is that the launching point that makes him go crazy because he's told that this other person is going to ascend to this position? Is that what sparks everything? It could be. It could be where that's the inciting incident, or it could be where they're just saying they just predict. They're just telling you the future of what's yeah, going to it's happen. Yeah, it's a it's a chance uh, meeting between Macbeth and these weird sisters, and they are just calling out what they see. Yeah. Um, but as for as for like where I would put Macbeth like in an objective or where I have seen it in, yeah. in discussion with others, it, it's at the top. It's top three. Um, typically people put like Hamlet as number one. Um, are Shakespeare's, uh, tragedies seem to be more kind of like, they uh, tend to rank higher yeah, on a scholarly comedies. level yeah. and even just the amount of times that it, it they are alluded to. Um, Richard the third, uh, mm. I see ranked very highly as well. And so just Julius my guess at this point, yeah, my guess at this point would be like if people were to. Like if you were to just get a large sampling of people who knew their shit about Shakespeare and cared enough to to give you their rankings, I I bet you like you would have number one Hamlet, number two Romeo and Juliet, mm. number three Macbeth. That's that's what I would think. Um, just in how famous they are, how how often quoted they are, how often you see the same tropes then um kind of affecting a later storytelling that lasts even to today and meaningful modes of storytelling that perhaps were if not created definitely innovated by Shakespeare um in the place so Hamlet is up there I'm sorry um Macbeth yeah another one name when you were uh, Macbeth when, is up there when you were in high school did you read a Shakespeare play every year yeah, yeah, that was, what was it, freshman year, Romeo and Juliet. Same. Sophomore year. Mine was Julius Caesar. I know we teach that at the sophomore level now. I don't remember if that's, I bet you that's when I read it too. Macbeth um, was my junior year. Junior year for me was a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, really? And I know... For like my school where I teach, it's kind of different depending on like which of the levels of English, which the programs you're in. So um, you have uh, Othello uh, for for IB juniors. Uh, You have Taming of the Shrew for some honors. Um, And then you also have the the choice of, gosh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Or Macbeth. So there's kind of like those four that yeah. are that you can choose from as teachers. And then senior year, I read King Lear. And I read Hamlet. And we offer Hamlet um, for us. So, yeah, it's... So I, could, I could see, like, I, it's funny that ones that you mentioned, like the top three, those are the three that I read 
in or were assigned in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet, uh, Hamlet and Macbeth. So I can see how those are like considered like the top, like maybe the Mount on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, and there's so many good ones, and people can have their list, and I'm sure there's a million lists from a million different people of like uh, rating mm-hmm. them, and that's that's probably speaks to why he's lasted so much as a writer because there's so it's not just like a one and done or you know one hit wonder or even like two or three, but like so many works. Yeah, it's quite that prolific. We could just, yeah, yeah, list. Mm-hmm. What do you? I want to pivot, but was there anything? Are there any other Macbeth tidbits you want to mention about the history of it? Uh, there's one other that I'll get to later on with our Q and A session. Okay. Um, but that, that those were I thought that was the most interesting. Just like the the effect of they were sponsored by James King James, and that affected how they approached writing this. Well, why they wrote it in the first place? You know, for their their. Uh, I keep wanting to say their sponsor. Uh-huh. <laughs> this play has been sponsored by um, their patron. And then how they approach, you know, this Scottish history and, you know, really playing up the regicide, really playing up the supernatural elements of it and taking a stance on it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's 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 something in my in my kind of research of this that I was not as aware of like i knew of the gunpowder plot i i knew of king james's obsession with hunting witches basically i i knew that king james was a patron for the main patron for the king's men ergo their name um but i didn't really connect that all to macbeth until i really was looking this up so shifting a little bit, just about, you mentioned, we we're talking about how prolific Shakespeare was as a writer. Obviously, he's taught around the world, certainly in English-speaking uh, nations, and he's widely, widely considered the, the greatest English writer ever. But there's also, I, I just wonder with your, your kids, that your, your students, uh, certainly I remember when I was a student, you're, you always kind of think like, why Shakespeare? Like, why was this the one that's lasted? Why is he the one that is taught and like drilled into you? I mean, we mentioned how like every year we it was it was required that you, we had to read a Shakespeare work every year. Yeah, I remember that when I was in high school too. I it is not required where I teach. Not anymore. It is it's just on the list that I can choose from. Well, I'm sure plenty So is still... like for example, I'm not teaching any Shakespeare this oh, really? year. Um except for my IB when we get to Othello, but like I I'm not Yeah, I'm not doing Romeo and Juliet. I'm I'm not going to do You did uh, The Hobbit instead. I chose to do the Hobbit. I'm going to do some mythologies too when we get back in January. But but the, but I'm just wondering yeah. why why uh, this is my, the point where I always mention like why this writer and I feel like again usually it's like why this individual book. But I'm going to go bigger and be like why Shakespeare? What 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 was it about him? What what was um new? What did what did he develop? What did he uh? What was he on the cutting edge, I guess, of, or what was it about his works that has that have made them mainstays? Like I said, I I highly doubt he's the first for a lot of this, but he he innovated or perfected it at that time, and it has not really been bettered since. Which is the five act play, um, mm. definitely ha- the way he 
had his plays proceed. Just nailed the structure. It just nailed the structure to the point where it affects how we look at stories today, how TV is written, mm-hmm. how how we just understand a story's plot structure comes from this. Uh, also, the fact that you can choose from his collection of works if you want a history, a tragedy, or a comedy and within those, if you want a deeper look at romance, if you want a deeper look at revenge, if you want to look at a, a deeper look at like coming of age, you have a selection in there um, that you don't see as often with playwriters uh, to study from. There are many playwriters out there that are prolific, but not in such a way that you have such a choice. Um, and thirdly, and this is definitely where the English teachers who are the ones who are choosing, hey, this is what we're going to read in the classroom. So they're more likely to nerd over this, but the mastery of the language in such a way that still to this day, so many words that we have within our vernacular, within our our language were created in these plays and in the poetry um, that was written by and attributed to Shakespeare. We, we have such a vast collection of, of uh, jokes, a vast collection of romantic poetry, and a vast collection of insults that come from him in such a way that people keep hearkening back to it instead of just creating their own. Or even when they're trying to, it, it just, it's it smells of Shakespeare, you know. Mm. You you can tell, and and so I th- I think because of that, eh, there are many good writers to read, but we keep coming back to him for those reasons of the plot, the genre, and the language. And I think that there aren't as many writers who did so all in three so well. Um, to even just to have in a neat package, right? A play's a nice little package to study from, you know, and in the classroom, you, instead of like a novella, you have this play. Uh, so it, it's something that you can have like in a bite-sized thing that you could study in a unit, you know, in a month um, or less and move on from it as opposed to a larger, chunkier work. Mm. So that also just from a pedagogical standpoint as a teacher, it also is nice to to break out of the um the rut of reading novel after novel after novel and still have something that is higher caliber in its language and its plots and its themes it sounds like it's he was just so foundational with where we are today with modern books it's like it's like so many things can point back to him that it's impossible to disassociate the two I guess or it's like it seems like you'd be doing an injustice as a teacher to not go back to such foundational work that has led to where we are today and you come back to it at some point even if like for me you know if I'm not going to be studying the entire works I still will come back to a scene or a sonnet um, just to look at the language and to show like hey like we've seen this theme we've seen this trope we've seen this formation of a shakespearean sonnet before here's the source material check it out so it you know even if it's just a one day thing it's well worth yeah 
your time um, and adding it to the repertoire of of the classroom. Now, I mentioned insults earlier. Hmm. And that that's where like I want to have a, a segment here. Okay. Um so first, I want to share a f- like a handful of some of my favorite insults and then um you and I are going to create a couple insults for Bertram to oh. use in, in some future episodes. I have a, a an insult generator basically that you and I can roll for <laughs> yes. and see which ones are some of our favorite. But first I'm gonna share I'm gonna share my, my five favorite Shakespearean insults. And if any of you listening have any favorite insults, feel free to share with us. Um, are so, the are these lines that Shakespeare actually I Yes, mean, I'm gonna read it straight from the source material and let you know where But it's I mean from. like are these like written like just I, I wrote a, an insult or is it like a line that like a Macbeth says in a play? Like are these all like lines that characters say in plays? Yes, these are all lines okay. that are directly. I didn't know if place. he had like his own kind of individual. No, writing. no, he didn't he didn't his, have, on like, his blog. I'm sure he his did his blog and he was Can just you imagine that? People. He's like, Man, I need a good line here. Let me <laughs> let me go to my moleskin <laughs> <laughs> dedicated just for my saucy words. When he's okay. bored he just writes insults <laughs> that he will work somewhere. So this first one is uh Number one, uh, it comes from All's Well That Ends Well, um, Act 2, Scene 3. And it reads, Methinkest thou art a general offense, and every man should beat thee. (laughs) 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 You suck, and you deserve to get a punch. Um, (laughs) Number two, from Henry IV, Part 1, Act 2, Scene 4. Thou art as fat as butter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, great i think that's against uh Falstaff. Bertram, Bertram i want to say that, that somebody's saying that to Falstaff. um number number three from titus andronicus act four scene two <laughs> i have a bad i have a bad habit of laughing pretty, you do and then no one else gets to enjoy it but you get your own okay. laugh to yourself though villain i have done thy mother uh and then the last two i saved from macbeth so this is uh macbeth act one scene three aroint thee go away rump red runyon you slut there's not mincing words there (laughs) no and i looked it up because i'm like what the hell is a runyon there's no i'm I'm right clicking on it there there is my my google doc is telling me we don't know this word so he, this is a word he was just using at the time. And a lot of his, his insults would do that. So, aroint thee, go away, rump red runyon, slut. <laughs> um, and then what lastly, Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 3. Thou cream-faced loon. <laughs> I think Bertram would love to say all of these and more. Okay, so yeah, let's work together. So, I have here, we can... Um, Basically, how I'm imagining this is that I have a list, um, and it's a three columns. And, oh, okay. And so we're gonna we're gonna build one a col- sentence. Yeah, column one and column two are basically adjectives, and column three is a noun. So uh, you you can get a, get a d twenty. We're gonna okay. roll, roll a d twenty three times. And we're gonna. By the way, one of the nouns is bugbear. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Exit. By the way, one of my favorites, it's not, I don't know if it's really an insult, but it's still funny to kind of use that way. What's the quote about, um, methinks doth protest too much or something like <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, methinks thou dost protest too much. I do like that. 
I like to say it, but I also butcher it. Okay, a D20 generator. Let's do this. And this is, are we doing it one and done and I have to say this? Or do we want No, let's, let's do it three times. Okay, and, then, and, and then pick the best one that we pick like. Pick your favorite one, yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll make sure to, to note this down. Okay. And also, um, I will make sure to, we, we can put the, the insults generator thing into the show notes maybe. That's good. Or maybe on Patreon, where our patrons can vote on what they like best. (laughs) Oh, yeah, patrons. Shameless plug for our Patreon. Shameless plug. Patrons, tell us what you want to hear any of the characters say at some point, and we will weave it in. Okay, uh, 11. Okay. 15. Hang on. And 14. 11, 15, 14. So that is... uh, Thou dissembling elf-skinned flap dragon. The last two are pretty good. Okay. Oh, let's do it again. Okay. So that's choice number one. Seven, eleven, one. Thou gleeking hedgeborn flax wench. God, I don't even know what these, what these words mean. <laughs> okay. Are they supposed to not mean anything? Gleeking? Gleeking. What does that mean? Let's... I remember that term when you were a kid, when you would like spit in between your teeth. To gleek is to to discharge a long, thin stream of liquid, including saliva, through the teeth or from under the tongue. Okay, so that's that's accurate. That's that's what he's saying. You're gleeking. All right, last one. Last one. 10, uh, 12. So 10, 12, 19. Thou artless, dizzy-eyed canker blossom. Ooh, I think that's my favorite. Okay. Say it again. Thou artless, dizzy-eyed canker blossom. Sounds like an insult for perhaps Mr. Morlock. Ooh. Little teaser for what's to come for our uh, <laughs> time machine. Yeah, if, 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 if Bertram were to insult anybody, that would be a, a good person to do that too. Okay. Okay, so we so have I'll those three options. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I love it. Okay, perfect. So we have that. And now Bertram will have. So now you guys keep your ears peeled for whenever. Uh, can you say it in Bertram's voice? I'll, um, <laughs> you want me to text it to you? You can say it in Bertram's yes. voice. Oh, I need to get into character. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for the, to be performing you this evening. Your... <laughs> oh, dear. You guys never hear it, or maybe you do, but my my uh, my phrase to get into character is basically just being C three PO. Oh, oh dear, all two. <laughs> Change thou to you, because yeah. Bertram doesn't say thou. Oh, Robots don't say ye. Hang on, let me uh, the cool edit function. Dizzy eyed, not dizzy eyes. You artless, dizzy eyed canker blossom. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yes, I need to put that somewhere. All right, save that for me. Patrons, or even if you're a listener, reach out to us. Tell us what you think was the best of those three. All right, moving on. Thank you for that. That was really fun. You're welcome. Where's that, where, where can people find that, by the way, if they want to come up with their own uh, insults? Um, really, it's... Oh, God, where is you that? just Google it. Was it Shakespeare Insult Generator? Shakespeare Insult Kit is what it's called. So yeah, some um, it's from MIT. So the Shakespeare Insult Kit from MIT. 
Um, and yeah, just some enterprising collegiates at MIT um, way back in the day created this. Okay, so now pivoting away from Shakespeare and from Macbeth, or at least from the play itself, I want to get into the section where we talk about um, the uh, references and the Easter eggs that you placed mm-hmm. within our game. This one seemed like it was going to be a hard one going into. Um, because, I mean, you put us in a hedge maze for a good chunk of it. Yeah. Was a hedge maze? Uh, where there, did that come from? There is not a hedge there, maze. Yeah. I think it was just wanting to try something new. Yeah. Uh, you and I were trying to figure out, like, how can we come up with ideas for future adventures not just this one but just some time ago of like what are some ways to have just not your prototypical dungeon crawl yeah Um, we didn't want to and again like as a producer i try and help caitlin a little bit as she shapes but obviously not in there as much as the dungeon master is but i know in our early talks it was like we don't want another dungeon crawl where we're just going through a building looking for a thing. It felt like we'd kind of done that in Frankenstein or we've done that with uh, Count of Monte Cristo. So we didn't want to just be searching the entire time. And I think you and me both agreed that the witches, the three weird sisters was like the best thing to play with. Mm-hmm. And I think you had the great idea of using them as like a security system that mm-hmm. like shields that shields the Macbeth Manor or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. And and just introducing them early on, like at the at the close of, of our Gatsby arc as well. Which by so, the way, I can't remember, did you plan on the Weird Sisters being this integral uh like to the story? Or are they supposed to be kind first. of a one off? It's kinda thing? like when when you hear authors talk about when I was writing, I didn't know what this character was yeah. gonna be and then they opened themselves up to me or something. It it was definitely one of those where I was I I I had thought like oh it'd be an interesting one and done yeah and then we started to collaboratively storytell the four of us yeah you know with improv and that's when I started to realize that oh no these sisters are here to stay the, yeah they're, especially with how Awen yeah is handling he's got the a very interesting character arc he's going down right yeah now. the the that surprised me in a very pleasing way and so just you know from the moment that Aaron t- decided to have Awen just what do you say he slams the ring on and yeah. just how he coveted this ring and this power and how he's holding on to it mm-hmm. uh you know just not wanting to relinquish it and I started to see like oh the how how the Macbeth play goes about this grab for power even if it's unholy you know and how I get it and not being willing you know this unwillingness to relinquish said power even if it doesn't belong to me or doesn't fit me and it might harm the ones I love and drive me to the brink of madness. I'm still going to hold on to it tightly. I'm like that. That's basically a win right now. And mm-hmm. so it it made a lot of sense then to have the the weird sisters play a bigger role as a conduit to to working with his own 
his his own character development and to kind of see also and peel back of hey maybe lady macbeth wasn't always as power hungry as she is now mm. maybe there is also an element of manipulation there as well yeah. and we're seeing it then through the eyes of of Awen. i mean you know it's it, it makes me think a lot of the one ring uh, totally. with tolkien and how you see it warp smeagol into Gollum and even just how it it drastically changes anybody who who wears it and and holds it for any amount of time. Uh, it's really indicative or really uh, a really amazing aspect of the storytelling of Dungeons and Dragons and, and true collaboration where you, the dungeon master, have an idea of what's going to happen and then we throw a wrench in the works. And I'm not even a wrench in the works because I think that implies something bad happening. Yeah, because you, you guys you just, aren't trying to like throw just, me off kilter yeah, at all. It's more like we just throw something in there and it creates this new thing that goes off in a not entirely new direction, but just adds something different to yeah, it. Yeah, the, the plot line branches off. Because I remember times. it started with, I think Bertram blasted the ring off his finger. Or I think he takes the ring off when Bertram's talking to him as a pause to like, don't. I can't remember why he took it off, but then I think I blasted it, mm-hmm. and I don't think you were expecting that. Nope. And then Mm-mm. A1 put it on, and you definitely weren't expecting that, and you rolled with it, and you made what I still think is maybe one of our best moments like on our, the entire show, where he's using that ring, and like he is hurting himself, but that's how he like drains Macbeth too. Yeah. was such yeah. a cool mm-hmm. moment. And then to keep going with it, and now here it is, another story or two we're starting we're starting about to start the time machine and that's still something that i can't wait to see what happens next with him i know i didn't expect it was a cool twist when when uh, in the at the end the finale of Macbeth, the uh, the book uh uh that we're the arc we were playing through how you had it where it was a communication device i wasn't expecting that where you had lady Macbeth saying I heard you scream in agony and call out my name. I yeah, was not it, it expecting was a, it, it was a random that. moment that I had at the end of, of Gatsby um, where just before he dies, you, I had in his Kermit voice. He says, so it wasn't as it wasn't as poignant. Um, I don't even know if I played it in that because I wanted it to be poignant. But anyways, um, I think you said he just he said I think you says, said it more yeah. narration. OK, said, yeah, he says, he says lady, lady um, yeah. and. You know, which, it which seems, makes sense, it seems in passing yeah. where it's just like, oh, like he it did, yeah. He loves her so much, and like he's just saying her name before he dies. But also, yeah, there there is that that element to it. Yeah, and uh, it really it reminds me of like Harry Potter and Voldemort. How now there's this communication between the two, where mm-hmm. we are linked to our enemy, and Awen just does not want to give it up. Yeah, and you don't know exactly how much that communication goes yeah, both ways, yeah. and yeah, you don't know like how much is manipulated too. Um, so that that was something in there. But in in planning this out, uh, just as with with every story, you know, you you pick out like who are the main players, like who are some important characters to become NPCs. Are there any interesting images, like imagery, that lasts with you? Any any important lines? Any important locations? Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're all over the place in here. Uh, there, there's a lot of, like, omens and portents mm. of, of 
usually of ill <laughs> in the story. And a lot of it had to do with animals. And so oh yeah, um, the owl, lion. owls and ravens are oh. big in this. And like, yeah, yeah. lions running amok, like mm-hmm. just. It was a lion and a mouse at the beginning you had? Oh, yeah. Well, I have. So there, there is like something about like lions or something like that running, running, running amok in, in Scotland, I want to say. But um, so I also just like had been listening to, of course, Florence and the Machine because you and I were getting ready oh. to go to to the concert and so her her one song rabbit heart raise it up um the lyrics really stuck with me and i'm like oh yeah this idea of like our lion-hearted versus rabbit-hearted you know mm. are you cowardly or are you courageous and a lot of how it plays in the actual source material and then how i had it with you guys is the ability of these weird sisters to kind of like see to your heart see see a lot of your your wants your fears and just your weaknesses and they can use that against you yeah uh and so this this concept of you know the just the the three of you together but also the three of you individually are you actually heroes are you all you pertain to be um especially do you think that you're the heroes and and these are the the villains then how how hard are you going to cling to that ideal um or are you going to throw it all up and you know to protect yourself and seek your own good in a cowardly way when push comes to shove yeah any uh there was banquo was there and you had uh the little boy banquo's son fleance yeah um so i'm guessing millie from oh not millie uh, Mildred? What was her, what, is it Mildred? Mildred from Bugbear Ganoush. No, she was not. <laughs> <laughs> There's not Bugbear Ganoush in Macbeth? No, she was not. Um, so Malcolm, um, who is the, the Goliath, the Goliath yeah. and uh, our, our, uh, the Rock, uh, <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson, That's right. Bugbear. Uh, who is that? Macduff um, is in this. Um so yeah, there, there's those are all like the main players that I I wanted to have in there. Um, when you guys first show up, there there's like this image portrayed in the in the sky of like the dagger, um, and that's yeah. just like you. That's an image that repeats itself throughout uh, a Macbeth of like this just this ghostly image of a dagger that Macbeth keeps seeing. That's not actually there. It's just like he's hallucinating of like what is this dagger I see before me. Um, as he's going to assassinate the king, uh, as well as before he's going to send one of his former friends to his death, um, before he even dies himself. And so just, I wanted something ominous for this place just to mm-hmm. set the, set the yeah, tone. And did. I thought, hey, yeah, an image of a dagger will do it. A bloody dagger. What are some of your favorite quotes that you included? Ooh, let me pull up my quotes page. I always have my quotes ready to go. I mean, my gosh, anything I have from the from the, uh, the witches, the witches like double, fair double. is fair yeah, is yeah. foul and foul is fair. Hover through the fog and filthy air. Um, Did you do double double toil and trouble or? Oh, I love oh full oh full of scorpions is my mind, dear wife. Mm. And so I told Awen like when he first feels their presence in his mind, it feels like his mind is full of scorpions. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but I love that. Like just a way to describe to someone like I am bothered. Like this this anxiety is overtaking me. Um, 
Yes, I did Double Double, Toil and Trouble, Fire Burn, and Cauldron Bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, did, of course, the, the, the spot? yeah, I had the soliloquy for... Which, by the way, listeners, I don't know if you guys got that. I had a lot of people who reach out who were saying, like, oh, that's why they're called the Spotted Hand. Yeah. The idea we were kind of hinting at, we were leading towards uh, yeah. Lady Macbeth. And, out damn spot, out mm-hmm. I say, yeah. So her her nonsensical... Um, when when you first actually meet Lady Macbeth and she's sleep floating um, yeah. through the halls, uh, and the the just the words that don't seem to make sense are all actually from the scene where Lady Macbeth is driven mad towards the end, like right before she dies, and mm-hmm. she is sleepwalking with hold, holding a single candle. tapered candle in yeah. front of her, which. So in this case, since I decided to make her an air genasi, she's, you know, air, she's sleep floating and there is a candle that's floating in front of her that yeah. she can manipulate. Um, that was so, really oh. creepy. I remember we said that in the show and you laughed at us for commenting on it. Yeah. Maybe Kimmy did, but I was like, <laughs> and me and Aaron scary. were like, this is creepy. It's like thunderstorming. <laughs> her, she was just floating with that candle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say it's one of the funnier moments, maybe the entire show. But also, if you step back, kind of sweet. You had the sex room. <laughs> it's like, man, they have a healthy sex they life. They do. They have a, They they love each other. And, and also they're, they're obsessed like, with each other. I couldn't help but like they're the bad guys. But you couldn't also help feel bad because it's like, oh, they actually love each other, and now her husband's dead. Yeah, uh, and if she's already like almost over the edge, yeah. what is this going to push her to be like? And what is that going to be like to? go up against that yeah so she yeah when did she, you when did you just, on the edge when did you decide the sex room in your planning when did that come about <laughs> like that week before where did that come from i have no clue i really don't i was just thinking like okay what what are some rooms you could go into once you get in like what would be in this What's master just something suite? insane yeah what would be really fun to see you guys react to and would also really fit the dynamic of lord and lady macbeth and Lord and Lady Macbeth, they they fuck. Yeah, they, do. they fuck. They, uh, you know the the Shakespearean Lord and Lady Macbeth. I mean, if there is, they they got that. They got one of those those X things, you know, the the big old like. No. Okay, it's like a big old X, and you can like cuff yourself to it, and. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a prude. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it was hilarious, though. Anyways, it was hilarious it was seeing. Uh, and then that that was fun. Kimmy Opening a tab. And, uh, I'm like researching what are in sex rooms. Or Kimmy and Aaron go through that, which is hilarious. <laughs> it was the worst room to put Aaron in, with him and his. He's like touching everything. I know. Touching everything. Well, because Awen. So how how he plays Awen? Awen will just go into any room and look look up like what what can I just take? He's just fascinated to use. Just find out and take it apart and find out how it's used. Yep. And then how Kimmy portrays Penny definitely is just someone who has not seen enough of the world in this way. Like not. Does not want to touch. Does that. not want does to know. Does does not. She she only knows enough to know like, OK, this has something to do with sex, but that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was it was fun to to listen to to all three of you react to this room. It was really, really funny. Uh, anything else that you planted in there that you just want to mention? Yeah, so it in the uh, kind of like the, I think it's act four, but there is a really a pivotal scene 
that Macbeth has with the three with the weird sisters again. And they're basically telling him, like, hey, you're gone really far, buddy. Like, and you keep asking us to know, like, how you're going to hold on to this crown and what you need to do. And we're saying, like, even they're like, stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like, nah, let me let me talk to your boss. And so, like, Hecate, the, like, basically Greek goddess of associated with witches, like, comes in through them to talk to him. And they give him basically these hallucinations or these these images that talked to him uh, and they it, it lined up perfectly because the three hallucinations were an armored head. Oh, which yeah. I'm like, OK, that's Bertram, um, a bloody child. OK, that's Penny. Penny. And then a child holding uh, a crowned child holding a tree I'm like that's. Uh, wow. And so when I saw that, I'm like, OK, I have to fit them in somewhere. And so towards the end, I uh, I think it was as you guys were. Was it after my after Bertram's surgery? Yeah, like the final sacrifice. Yeah. That's where that's where you see these yeah. hallucinations. Um, it was a good. It was a good. Yeah. It was a smart way of planting these references by just using hallucinations and seemingly being random, but not all nods to the play. Um, mm-hmm was really fascinating. Basically, anytime there was like a what the fuck moment, like what the hell is this? You're probably like, yeah, it's from the, it's from the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. Pivoting to our next section, the Q&A section. And as okay. a reminder for you listeners out there, thank you for reaching out and submitting uh, questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please reach out to us through email. It's uh, oh, at gmail.com. You also can find us on Twitter or any social media, just uh, at Oh Man Man Show. We love your questions and love to get to interact with you. So please keep them coming and we'll try and attack as many as we can here. Uh, I'm going to go over two today just because we're running a little long. I'm going to start first with our patron, which again, patrons always get, they never get knocked down. (laughs) They are going to be first come, (laughs) first served. So the first question comes from Operatic Muddle. Thank you, Operatic Muddle, for being a patron. And they ask, what are some rejected books or otherwise that just didn't make the cut? I guess that means just like in the whole overall overall storyline. So far, what we've done. Um, Gosh. With Shakespeare himself, um, because I knew I wanted to do Shakespeare at some point, and when we were still kind of throwing around like, well, we could have Lady Macbeth as the main antagonist and just not do Macbeth. Um, I know like I was I was considering Hamlet, but I was also considering Midsummer Night's Dream because it mm. would be fun to do the Feywild um, connection with the D&D. Um, but ultimately decided it would be best for this specific world, this specific large story that we are doing that Macbeth would best fit, best fit with that. Um, I mean, on, honestly, I know that in the talks we've had and like really stressing and trying to get um, women authors or like people of color. Mm-hmm. And it's been like how difficult that is, which speaks to the issue of how much, how much this, uh, medium has been consumed by like straight white men and how hard it is to try and find something that's by a, a person of color and it's fine yeah that's that's accessible in a way that we can find it in public domain and i can just 
find. Well, well, not not only that, a lot of the books that you try and see, it's like you don't want to touch because they're really sensitive and they're about hardships and and slavery. And so it's like, oh, man, this Mm -hmm. is a beautiful book by a person of color, but they are just like really heavy and there's no way to touch that and and nor would we try of course we wouldn't even try to right. try and make light of that by playing D and something so profound and deep right. so that's honestly it's been hard like the moment we might like just try and find a person of color all those books just seem kind of like impossible to touch yeah um, like i would love like um i would love to just to talk about those books but mm-hmm. certainly not playing in them yeah, like I, I definitely like still have it. Like Zora Neale Hurston, absolutely like love that author. Um, some works are are within public domain that I could use. Don't I just have not found like a good ample opportunity to weave yeah, it into the yeah. story so far. Um, not saying it's impossible, right? Just another opportunity. Hey, mm-hmm. listeners. You got some, if you have some recommendations or if you know something that we that, that our master teacher does not know, please send recommendations. Please, 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 please. Yes. I want to hear from you guys. Uh, it, it, it has been like, even if it's just like it, it comes for a one shot, like that's how we ended up doing Treasure Island um, for one of our one shots. So definitely, definitely go in there. Treasure Island was going to be a rejected work until we found an opportunity to not have it as a full arc but as a one shot totally that was awesome <laughs> i mean we i mean we just did uh dickens a christmas carol yeah and i I thought once we did oliver twist and once we already kind of had that one little brief moment of scrooge i was like ah we're probably not going to touch that and again a little one shot opportunity presented itself and so I think it's opening up these seemingly impossible books or books where it's like, this is not going to fit into our larger thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, these can be, if they're not part of the canon, they can still be something that we play yeah. through and find a way to make, make fun. Yeah. The last one that I'll mention uh, that we talked over, but we decided not to, um, at least for, for this round, um, is uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm. We, we, it's like, man, that that's well known. It has some cool like layers to it. I mean, there's circles of hell, like that could easily be like translated to like levels in a dungeon or just, you know, so, uh, or just have some weird off the wall. We'll do that at some point, but it probably just won't. For for the main, the main storyline, I I just decided not to go with that. Yeah. For season one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. uh, So thank you, Operatic Muddle. And for question two. Comes came through us uh, on Twitter uh, from at alien underscore sunset, and I love this question so much. It made me so happy when I saw it. Uh, they say, "I only just started listening to your podcast. My son and I just finished Frankenstein, and he's already asked me to download it into onto his Kindle for him. So haven't heard this arc yet. But my first thought is of the curse. Um, they were they're speaking of the Macbeth curse." Besides terrible roles, have you all experienced anything spooky? Thank you so much for that, Abigail. Um, okay, I am first, because not everybody understands that. I'm going to tell you about yes. which, what Abigail is talking about. So um, they're talking about the curse of the Scottish play. Um, so I'm not even, you know, typically even as the curse, people don't say the name Macbeth. Um, they call it the Scottish play. That's why they um, say break a leg. Yeah. 
So Shakespeare reportedly researched the Weird Sisters in depth. Oh wow! Like he wanted to get this this view of the occult and um the the mythologies that that have this triune figure in it and even just witchcraft in general he wanted to get it down and so reportedly even like the the chants um that the weird sisters say and the ingredients like toe of frog fenny snake and eye of newt they're actually supposedly supposed to be real spells oh wow um so according to folklore there was a coven of witches who objected to shakespeare using real incantations and put a curse on the play oh and so um there were rumored mishaps in the first performance including um apparently like the actor who played lady Macbeth just like fell dead oh. on the on the stage um but there were even like real daggers in lieu of props that were used in the murder scene of King Duncan, which resulted in that actor's death. Um, yeah. Misfiring of props. Uh, so you, you had a lot of things that just went wrong, resulting in death and destruction of bodily parts, uh, that happened in the original, like play itself that just didn't happen with them. Like, you did not have this great amount of mishaps on the stage and behind the scenes at, at such a record time to that, that they just started like thinking there's something wrong. Yeah, like more than the a coincidence. Is, there's is too cursed. many things. And then when it really picked up in a fever pitch is actually later on in 1849, there was this famous like it's called the Astor Place Riot in New York City. Um, where it was caused by a rivalry between two famous actors at the time, two famous stage actors, oh. who both were portraying Macbeth in competing plays. Oh. So these two versions of the tragedy of Macbeth were playing at the same time in New York City. And so these two actors who just like had beef with one another, their followers, their fans, their, I don't know what it was, but there was a riot um, and it resulted in 20 deaths and over 100 injuries because of this. And so since then, uh, what has become uh, kind of like lore on the stage is that you're not supposed to say the name Macbeth. Um, you, you, instead of wishing them luck, you say break a leg, but also that the only way to avoid catastrophe is if you if you accidentally utter the name of the play, you must exit the theater, spin around three times, spit, curse, and then knock on the theater door to be allowed back in. Oh, wow. Whole thing. Yeah. Dang. So anyways, um, that's the curse of the Scottish play. That's, I don't know why that, I thought yeah. I remember hearing something about a fire in a, in a theater, but there, yes, I, I'm no, sure there, there's, there's a whole list. Like when stuff. I was looking this up. There's a list yeah. of mishaps connected to this curse. It's one of those um, things where if you were looking for it, you'll find exactly, mishaps. But, yeah. but yeah, that is But that I love that. Crazy. I love folklore like that. When, um, so anyways, because of that, that's where you get this idea of like, but I, I don't, I don't remember anything. I, I just. I do. Okay. Tell us what about I your thought curse. Immediately when they <laughs> sent this question in. It was that fucking cricket in Aaron's <laughs> garage because our lovable Aaron, who plays Awen, records out of his office, which is in a garage, was in Los Angeles, not anymore, but the time it was in Los Angeles. And 
a stupid fucking cricket snuck in and he guys just you're hearing find the voice it. of not the actor right now you're hearing the voice of the editor gosh it was so <laughs> frustrating because it was the it was we recorded the finale of Macbeth which ended up being the last two episodes because it was so chunky and there were so many like intense or funny moments like when they're when it, it, the cricket persisted for like two and a half hours across both episodes and so every time Awen or Aaron talked whenever he was just commenting on something or going in the <laughs> sex room which was really funny or when we were battling or having like a sincere moment that fucking cricket was just under everything and I tried everything as an editor to try and find the frequency <laughs> of of the cricket to try and remove the frequency, but it just like distorted Aaron's voice so much and it made it like terrible so much. It made it sound like he was underwater. So I thought it was better just to have the cricket in there. Yeah, and, you fucking hated it. And that we thing. just embraced it. We did the thing where we just left it in at the beginning that like, yeah, there was a cricket in here. And I think you, you kind of poked fun at it in a mid roll about like, oh, our friend the cricket that's here. Oh, yeah, guest another starring. cast member guest starring. <laughs> That sucked. And there's been mishaps before like that with like audio here and there. But that was the one that was like, just this cricket sucks. That was probably the biggest thing. I don't, I, I don't think we've had a lot of like sicknesses lately. God bless her. Kimmy. Every, it feels like every oh, yeah. session she either has like a runny nose or is coughing or she's tired. She Fever- told me once. She was feverish when we were uh, recording for uh, A Christmas Carol. <laughs> oh, God, she was. Yeah, she you could hear she was stuffed up a little bit in it. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of sicknesses, usually one person's down. Um, I think that was, I think Kimmy told me one time, and I don't know why I found it so funny. She said that when she gets tired, she yawns. And when she yawns, her nose runs, and when her nose runs, she coughs. She's just a mess sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mess all the times, but she's a mess sometimes. I don't remember any tragic rolls for the dice. Uh, uh, like from a mechanical perspective, I don't know. Maybe Aaron, if if Aaron and and Kimmy were here, maybe they could think of. Oh, one. wasn't there a time when uh, Awen? attacked and like badly hurt uh oh i think penelope jumped in front of her oh okay ghost yeah. friend yeah yeah and awen was like mid slashing and just <laughs> slashed her and the role just got her got her so yeah. bad uh i mean that's a fun I question did, i did almost kill you i did almost kill you oh like there, that's there, true that's something yeah uh, i guess I guess that's spooky. We all just got like beaten up in this last one. Well, especially because like yeah. I feel like usually in a lot of other podcasts I hear that are D&D, it's like you have your mission and then you go back to the, the home base and you kind of like recharge. For hours, it was like we went to Gatsby no. and yeah. we went to Macbeth and now we're not we're still not going home. So it's like, man, we're just like down and tired. And yeah. There's times where I like laugh gleefully and then other times where I am just like freaking out as your DM. Like we got to figure out a way that doesn't feel too contrived to deus ex machina to like give you a, a chance for a, a rest to restore yeah. spell slots and everything else. We got to find a way to kind of like contrive that because yeah. we want the mechanics to be like we've had a long rest even though we actually haven't. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Uh, thank you again so much for those questions. Those were great. Again, yes, yes, yes. continue to send us questions or just reach out to us and talk to us. We love uh, interacting with our listeners. All right. Well, with that, uh, we can wrap up this edition of the book report. Uh, for for those of you listening, you might have heard a truncated version of this. If you want the full episode with everything, with all the games, with all the behind the scenes info, yes, yes, gonna have to sign up for that Patreon, baby. Be a part of the Come old man, man, join us. Just for a few dollars a month, you can help support uh, just up and coming creators, a small show. Uh, it really means the world uh, to us to have a uh, support of our patrons. Let me be your tiny Tim and you, my Ebenezer Scrooge, and yes. you will be a second father to me. Yes, who did not die. Yes. <laughs> this put, show did not die. Put the turkey and the medicine and the citrus on the table for me so I can escape the rickets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, that's a way to hear this whole episode uncut. Uh, and there's a lot of other bonuses I mentioned earlier. There's behind the scenes info. We do bonus episodes and content like we do uh, the after show. Every time we record an episode, uh, the four of us stay on afterwards and do a recap and talk about our thoughts, feelings, info, jokes, whatever. Just hanging out and talking. It's a lot of fun. Kimmy and I have a book club that we do at the end of every uh, novel or work art ar- arc basically yeah. so uh you know we we closed uh Macbeth and so we had one that we released mm-hmm. and so yep. now we're going to be in our next one time machine and so we'll find a, a another piece of literature that relates to time machine that we will talk about Ooh, and yeah. uh, you'll get to listen in yeah or yeah. even join us in the reading of Ex- it exactly and, and yeah be a part of the conversation we also have first chapter Fridays where we all alternate reading the first chapter of some of our favorite books just to kind of give you a taste of some books maybe you haven't read before. Uh, we do early releases, lots of fun, and exclusive content uh, just as a thank you just for uh, $2, $5, $10, whatever you want to do. Uh, to help us, to help grow our little one show. Million one million dollars. If you give us one million dollars a month, you can, you can, have, you can have this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours. Uh, but besides, you're all, you're all daddy and mummy now. <laughs> but besides that, uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on social media at Omamam Show everywhere you also can uh, reach out to us at at omamam show at gmail please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts that helps us a ton we read your comments uh in the mid rolls of our episodes as a way to say thank you so that way you can hear your words read through caitlin's voice and am i missing anything else no i i you've you've hit you've hit all the main talking points really well i think that's it thank you so much for your continued support and for listening uh, it really means the world and we just love making this show and all of you who reach out um, we've gotten some really sweet comments lately and nice reviews mm, of people mm-hmm. who just say that the show is just hitting them at the right time even when they're down in the dumps and that's and more, I've got to say like yeah. your comments hit us at the right time too and, For and sure. keep us going it's good motivation because we we create this thing in a room by ourselves and it's going out to the world which is really wild and we're just so thankful for all of you who listen, and we hope that you will. You know what? The last thing I'll say, if you li- if you like this show, 
please just share it with your friends and people who love D&D, people who love podcasts, comedy podcasts, literature, uh, friends just being stupid and having a good time uh, talking and interacting with each other. You got a Scottish friend, share it. You got a witch friend, share it. You got come it. one, come all. <laughs> we will not turn anyone away. You got, you got a friend planning regicide, share it. <laughs> <laughs> Call the police after you share it with them. Uh, yeah, that's that, that really is the best way to help grow this podcast because um, it's one thing when they hear a recommendation from like a stranger like us online. It's a lot different when it comes from a trusted friend, trusted uh, source like you guys. Mm. Uh, so that would help just mean the world and help grow this show one person at a time. Thank you, Caitlin, for guiding us through Macbeth. As always, a pleasure. And thank you, Adam, for leading us and hosting tonight. Absolutely. You're welcome. If you haven't already heard, we had a special uh, holiday episode of The Christmas Carol. It was two parts. Go check it out. It was a lot of fun uh, doing that with Kate, doing that at the last minute. It went Featuring our buddy, Kevin Porter. Yes, from Gilmore Guys and Good Christian Pod. Go check that out. It's really fun. We're going to take a little break now for the holidays, a couple weeks, and we will be back and we will see you all in the time machine. See you at a future time for The Time Machine in 2023. Bye. Bye. (laughs) The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish. Forgive me, Father. For I have sinned. It's been six months. Since my last confession. What would you like to confess today? I have decades of failings I could recap here. Today, I want to confess the worst thing I've ever done. Uh, okay. Uh, lots to unpack here. I can be kind of a crap husband. I took eight years of my life and lit it on fire in a matter of five hours. So I did what any self-respecting father would do. I am. <laughs> Lightly dosed his Gatorade with a powerful laxative. And I guess sorry for making out in the confessional. Since confession is about talking to God, I felt he had a right to know what you've done. What I've done? What did I do? Are you kidding? Do you love Emily? What the hell kind of question is that? Well, you're not going to absolve me? That's the whole point. Please leave the sacrament to the professional. Where do you get off talking to me like this? <clears throat> Excuse me? What the f- Who is there? Forgive Me, a comedy podcast from Rogue Dialogue.